Hello and welcome to Signal Path, a podcast series by Shaw which looks at the pivotal moments that have influenced the way artists think about sound. We are talking to a whole range of artists who are pushing the boundaries, hearing about the key moments that have made them who they are today. I'm Zaki Asul, and in this episode, I'll be talking to the band leader, multi-instrumentalist and producer, Emma Jean Thackeray. Hey Emma, how Hi are you? Yeah. yeah, I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Transitioning into this, into the new season. Mm, yeah, very cold. <laughs> Originally from Yorkshire, Emma's now based in South London, in the midst of the capital's contemporary jazz scene. You've been travelling lots and doing lots of gigs, have you, over the last few months? Travelling loads, yeah, and I've just been in, um, in up in California, so it was a real shock to the system to then step off the plane in England and instantly come back to a house with no boiler and just <laughs> brave the cold. The glamorous <laughs> life of a musician. Known best for playing the trumpet, Emma also produces all of her own tracks, sings and plays a long list of instruments, blending jazz with electronics and mystical lyricism. It's always nice to begin, I guess, at the beginning and to, to ask a question about about your early life. Um, did you grow up in a musical household and what are some of your kind of earliest memories of, of, of music? I didn't grow up in a musical household at all. Um, no one in my family before me, at least, you know, alive at the time, like played played instruments. Everyone liked music but I think to a very average kind of level it's a sort of place of where my family like what they know they know what they like they don't really sort of get outside of that comfort zone um but you know still very in love with the music that they do listen to so passion there was sort of you know evident and and the music that they played to me they they loved and were excited to show to me so I listened to a lot of like 80s soul from my mum my dad likes pop rock and just stuff that he can belt out in the car like Michael Bublé and things like that just anything he can sing along to um, my grandma quite likes classical music particularly like sort of the romantic period of stuff with like all the big tunes um, so yeah there was music there but they aren't musicians they're not artistic people they're very practical so how did you kind of find your connection to music I think I was always meant to, which sounds like a crazy cliche answer, but I think, you know, when when you ask little kids what they want to be when they grow up, I always used to say artists. And like from the age of two or something, when I started speaking properly, I'd say, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to be an artist. And I was always drawing, I was always like making up stories, I was always trying to do something creative, and that's always what I thought my life was going to be. Um, and then I went to a good primary school, everyone had to learn uh, the recorder <laughs> and um, those that showed some aptitude were asked to, to move on to another instrument and my friend played the cornet it was shiny and loud it grabbed me in the way that you know shiny and loud things grab children in just like a really silly way um, but I ended up you know being quite good at it and, and, and had natural ability and that's you know that's the beginning really it was just all laid out before me and quite natural it's always fascinating, you know, hearing that when when people haven't necessarily it's not necessarily an inherited love of music. It really is something that sort of just springs from within somehow. It's quite mysterious. Yeah, maybe it's sort of skipped a couple of generations and maybe somewhere 
back there there's like some ancestor that was like I don't know some sort of troubadour kind of person but <laughs> not that I know of it's just it just was natural for me so tell me about that that, that first pivotal moment that you've sort of thought of when thinking about your your musical journey I think there's been lots in my early life I think one that stands out was when I got my first cornet um which is kind of like it's a squashed up trumpet basically for anyone that doesn't understand what a cornet is um and we got it from a second hand shop in Wakefield and I remember my parents sort of like saving for a while and making sure I was actually going to stick to it before they you know bought it and like getting help from other people in my family having a bit of a whip round and I was very aware that everyone had put a lot into like a lot of investing had gone into getting me this cornet so I I shouldn't mess up and I, I needed to be serious about it and um but I was still at a place where I didn't really know what I was doing and I remember my mum asking me to go in the bathroom and like play for her in the bath and um I didn't actually know any songs but she's like oh I like that I like this one song will you play it for me and I was like but I don't know any I'm, I've only just started and she was like go on you, you'll you'll figure it out and um, I think that naivety from my mum and the naivety from me just made me think like okay I guess I'll just figure it out and I remember just like playing all these tunes that she asked me to do and I had no idea how I was finding the notes but I sort of found them and she was like why don't you make something up for me and I just remember loving it and just being like oh wow I, I guess I don't need to have lessons to already be good enough to enjoy doing this um, so yeah, that was quite a pivotal moment. I hadn't thought about that in years, actually. Yeah, playing for my mum in the bath. I wonder. I don't think I could do that now. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps not. Um, and you also mentioned an- another moment where you sort of fortuitously came across uh, an album by Miles Davis. Yeah, it's it's a story that when I've told people before, they think I'm making it up. Um, it sort of sounds a little bit too perfect, but I promise you, it's it's all completely real. Um, so I was already into music, but more indie stuff. Listened to a lot of prog, a lot of classical music, um, already stuff that wasn't mainstream. But I hadn't yet got into jazz, and I was doing a lot of brass band playing and playing this um, this solo piece called Concerto de Orangerie, which is based on um, a concerto, a guitar concerto by Rodriguez. And it's a really popular brass band solo piece. And it was like the beginning of LimeWire, those kind of like sites where you could download music very naughtily. Um, And I was like 13, 14, I think. So I didn't really understand why I shouldn't. Um, And I remember downloading it and downloading the wrong version and listening to it being like, this isn't, what? This isn't the brass band version. And then being really captured by it like this is really weird in a, such a magical way it's like nothing else I'd ever heard it sort of grabbed a lot of like the classical influences that I was loving and was so completely new to me and I in my like 13 14 year old naivety I, I thought that um I discovered Miles Davis <laughs> and I was sort of talking to people about that like have you heard this Miles Davis guy you probably wouldn't have heard of him anyway I've discovered <laughs> him he's so great and you should listen to him and I just genuinely thought that he was like someone that had made this record like just for me wow and and what was it about the sound of what yeah what was it about that sound that you that captivated you I think it was it was two things it was um Miles Davis's tone because 
you know, I was a trumpet player at the time. Like uh, I was really enamored with this other trumpet player that sounded like no one else that I'd heard. <clears throat> and it was also Gil Evans's orchestration because it's just so back to front and strange and non-typical. It's um, it goes against a lot of the rule books and and does something different. So it was a sound that was so otherworldly to me. Um, I could hear what the instruments were doing and I knew that it wasn't what they were sort of quote unquote supposed to be doing and I thought that that was really special. So when did you start like composing your own your own music was that before this discovery of, of Miles Davis? It was around the same sort of time I don't remember exactly but that's when I started like making up stuff a little bit more seriously I'd kind of as a child would always make up little songs um, and I wrote a lot of poetry sort of in those tween years. I was a very earnest teenager. Um, but yeah, I was sort of composing a little bit more seriously from about 13, 14, and on the the sort of old, ancient family computer, there was like a music software thing, and I was making like little MIDI songs on there and like trying to replicate the sounds of instruments by using the MIDI, because obviously I couldn't record into the computer. and writing these scores or listening to music like I was really into dream theater which are this like American prog metal band and like transcribing everything and and then writing it out on these scores on my computer and just sort of I was just so happy to be like dissecting things and and then trying to chop it up in my own way and, and make music even from that age. And at that time did you have a kind of musical community around you or was it quite a solitary process and you know thinking about your your writing process now you know is that is is it is it more of a solitary thing or do you or do you kind of um or or more collaborative I think it's it's both in in some ways I mean when I'm performing and the the process of making music with other people when the music is already made is very collaborative and very community-based but when I'm writing the initial pieces it's so solitary and I think that was how my life has always been actually like I've always been a sort of very outsidery person someone that is a bit more of a loner and <clears throat> happy to to be on my own somewhere and, and sort of discover things for myself um, and you know write the music and then take it to someone so as a child that was like taking things to the brass band that I was in and being like oh I've done this arrangement of this pop song can we try it and can I hear it played by real people and um so it was like, like the the community aspect was always secondary in that sense, just you know chronologically. You also talked about you know that sort of discovering jazz and and also discovering improvisation um, in that sense, you know, quite distinct from perhaps the, what you'd been working on with the brass band or in in your um, in your studies of music. Is that you know a, a large part of the way that you make music today? It's integral and also not my first thought if that makes sense it's it's quite strange to, to try and explain the process it's it's like it's, it's always secondary to me in that sense so if I'm writing a composition I'm writing down um everything on my own I'm by the piano the guitar whatever it is I'm writing on and it's about my vision first and foremost so I'll have pretty much exactly what I want to happen in the piece in my head and it's just about getting it down on the paper um, but there will always be gaps and little areas where I, you know I could write something but I, I sort of 
reserve that little last, you know, 20% for the performance and, and those little magical moments. So then taking it to the band, I sort of leave a little bit of space for them to bring their to bring their personalities into it, to bring their own sort of sense of ownership to stuff. So even if it's just like, I don't know, a little fill and it might sound like, like pretty much like what I might have written myself, it doesn't matter. It's more about like them being like, I'm in this too and I'm part of this and I'm here. The music that you've written is like this vehicle for us to, you know, to use to drive through the music rather than it just being like a static thing. So it's it's... It's almost like my process is a timeline and things happen at different points of the timeline. So you studied you studied jazz trumpet, you did a master's at you did a composition master's at Trinity. Um could you tell me about the the next moment that you selected, you know, seeing seeing a particular band that sort of turned some of what you'd learned um upside down? Yeah, it was I think it was maybe in like the last year of the masters or maybe just after i can't quite remember exactly but it was going to go see robert gasper's black radio at the roundhouse um in london i think it's for the itunes festival so that probably makes it easy for some sherlock to figure out exactly when that was um and i i really liked robert gasper's music before black radio um and it was um, a strange point for me because going to go see this gig was like getting permission, not just from the music that had been made that night, but from the people that were there, the people that were loving it and, and, and had come out to come see this music because I'd been making beats and um, being a jazz musician completely separately. So the jazz musician was in the day and then I was almost like moonlighting as this beat maker this, <laughs> this person making stuff on my computer um, and I wasn't really showing it to anyone because it just sort of felt like it was so separate to what I was supposed to be doing um, so then going to go see this concert and Robert Gasper obviously bringing so many influences and so many different styles it being this like jazz and hip hop like it, it was like getting permission so I remember just feeling like wow all these people are here to see this music people do want to hear it maybe people want to hear what I've been doing and maybe I don't have to hide it anymore so it was like a really big um, sense of, of permission and, and, and like a go ahead and it was just like a, another light had been switched on to, to bring these things together so it's like okay I don't have to, to hide this this part of myself anymore I can try and make it you know be a, can be a whole person and I don't have to keep sort of compartmentalising anymore so that was the beginning of me then starting to put stuff together and this has directly led me on the path to, to what I'm doing now. Where do you think that sort of hesitation came from, that sort of, you know, that sense that you needed to compartmentalise, that those things couldn't, couldn't, you know, couldn't be together or go together? I think it was uh, a childhood of being called a freak. <laughs> so just, yeah, just everyone calling me weird, even my own family, even if it's well-meaning or, you know, the teasing wasn't meant to be as extreme as it sometimes was received. It's, um, yeah, it's really hard to go through your childhood just being constantly told that you're weird and that what you like, what you want to do is, is strange or unusual and that you shouldn't be feeling those ways. You should be this and not that. So I think it's just like a learned response for me of like being this social chameleon of like 
oh, when I'm around people, I mustn't bring up this because then they'll think I'm weird and I'll be outed as this this freak and I won't be able to like exist in normal society. So it's um, I now know that basically it's just like me masking a bunch of neurodiversity and like being dyslexic and having ADHD and being autistic and all this stuff. But at the time, I didn't know that. So it's um, yeah, it was a tricky childhood in that sense of um, yeah having this strong sense of self and who I was and being okay with that but just knowing that I had to sort of hide parts of me and just be this you know walking mask with hair but then so amazing that something like a gig you know could you know or it's that experience of, of seeing Robert Glasper could be the thing that kind of snapped you out of that way mm. of thinking that gave you permission as you say to be all all that you are and to express that through music yeah I mean it it definitely didn't break everything down but it was a massive boost for sure I think I don't know I hope I hope that I don't spend my entire life masking things but it's always a journey no one's ever you know the complete finished article and um I think it was still lots of compartmentalizing going on up until yellow basically um that was another sort of moment where I was like okay I'm I'm gonna be me now I wanted to to ask you you talked about the sort of Hip hop influences and you know your your debut album Yellow. A lot of people have described it as being a kind of dance floor record. Um, I wanted to know where did that where did that sort of dance floor element come from? When did you first encounter dance music? Was that something that was sort of experienced in in spaces, or was it another kind of uh, serendipitous musical discovery? I think it's more spaces. Also, some stuff from my family, like my. My family love a party, let's just say. Um, <laughs> and they, you know, they have this love of like soul music and, and um, American stuff and then like also like Northern Soul kind of stuff. Um, so I sort of grew up knowing that like, okay, when we get together, we have music on, we dance. This is what we do. Um, and and then from being about 13, 14, that's when I started like going out a lot, like going clubbing, finding out about, more sort of like club-ready music, DJ-focused kind of stuff, um, you know, getting really into like more electronic music from, you know, that age. It was it was such a big part of my upbringing. And again, it was like another compartmentalised thing. It was like, okay, jazz is this, and we swing, and we don't play grooves in this way. Um, and I always hated that. I've kind of always had like a bit of a weird relationship with, with swing for that, for that reason. Um, so it was just, yeah, just more and more chipping away at myself to to do exactly what I want to do and bring these influences together of the things that I love. So it's like, yeah, I can love Mars Davis and I can love Bugs in the Attic. And it doesn't mean that I, ha- I can't put them together, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really nice that people are sort of seeing uh, stuff that I guess previously is you know, when you're sort of like ostracised for something and now people celebrate you for it, it's, it's quite nice. Well, also, those people of, are usually not sort of recognising the, the deep connections between those types of music anyway, you know, to, to put jazz, to put Miles Davis next to Bugs in the Attic makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> it does for me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was also, I also wanted to ask you about, you know, because this record... There are also a lot of kind of references to astrology and, you know, the cosmos and mysticism and also, but not only that, but kind of quite powerful 
and um, inspirational, uplifting lyrics um, in the record as well. And I, I want to know where that where that came from. You know, is you know, there's there's an almost spiritual quality you could say to to the music that you've made in that in that album. Where does that come from? I think it just comes from what I'm thinking about, what I care about. So I try to write music about what I know, what I feel, what I care about, rather than just writing stuff that I maybe should say or, you know, trying to, like, pick a subject out of the air. It has to feel real to me. So I grew up with a lot of, like, Taoist philosophy from my dad and this idea of the universe being this giant entity that's that must um find balance and has these like pushes and pulls but is um ultimately one thing connecting us all is just like the foundation of my whole being um and it's something that you know through difficult times in my life if I didn't have that sort of foundation I might I might not be here genuinely so it's um something that means a lot to me and is this like external thing that I'm grateful for and that I'm sort of searching through and 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 looking to but it's also just so part of me and so natural and instinctual to to write about that and you know I love the sort of like more spiritual jazz leaning music of like the 60s and 70s and you know I I thought well I can take these things that I care about and sort of try and package them in a little bit more of I think a slightly camp way which I think is really fun like the sort of almost um Royer's um, music production kind of like sound like that ubiquity kind of stuff of like um, the singers just being a little bit more camp and, and playful and like trying to bring that through and like the p-funk silliness so it's like taking serious um, serious ideas and, 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 and you know spirituality is a very serious thing and then just kind of like giving it a bit of a silly edge so it's just a bit more fun and not so heavy like trying to find balance in that way too Also I feel like you know people Package in that way, people are more likely to to sing along and take mm. on the deep, the deep philosophical so. messages without realizing <laughs> it. That's exactly what I was hoping for. Um, so, tell me a little bit about the 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 third kind of important moment that that you've selected. You know, the release of of Yellow in twenty twenty one. So again, it's it's this idea of um, breaking down these walls within myself, like these compartmentalized parts of me and the way I make music. So. The EPs that I brought out before Yellow were quite um, separated in terms of how I approached them. So Walrus is like me as a band leader, and then Ley Lines is just me on my own, like no one else touched that record in any way. Rain Dance is like a mixture of both those things, and I'm sampling myself and like chopping up samples of my own recording sessions and then layering on top of it. And then Yellow is a combination of all these things plus showing people the the large ensemble work that I'd done and um, no one had seen before if you you know just paid attention to my released music. So it was like another way of being like, okay, I'm going to do me now for real. I know I said it was before, but now <laughs> it really is that. Um, and just, yeah, just trying to be as honestly me as I could possibly be. So some of the songs on there are just me pretty much playing stuff or there could be friends that I have that have come on to like do some brass stuff or do some string stuff or you know it's it's a real mishmash of um approaches just because I didn't have the budget to get everyone together in a room and do it that way I had to sort of do it very very DIY and on the cheap um but the way I approached the production was to make it feel like a live experience so hopefully you can put on your headphones and sit somewhere comfortable and 
it should feel like you're in the room with this like giant orchestra of people. So the way I've panned stuff is like, should feel like the room is like set out in front of you. But ultimately it's like, yeah, a way of me being like, this This is me now. Until, until, until the next, the next one, one where you're more you. <laughs> where I'll say, you know what I said, actually this is the real me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that just keeps on going. Growth, we want uh, perpetual growth. Exactly. Tell me, I'm curious about the title. What 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 does yellow what does yellow mean? What does yellow represent to you? Um, so it's a color that I was using at the time um, in meditation. So some people have these like different triggers to help get them into a state. Um, it might be like a sound, like a singing bowl or something. It could be a smell. It could be whatever it is. Um, but mine was like using the color yellow to like purposefully be mindful and like try and live in a state of, of gratitude um just you know if if nothing else then to sort of get me through a lot of like difficult stuff that was going on it's like there's, there's this color to sort of like be this like beacon in front of me sort of pulling me along um so it became like a very important color in my life and I I was sort of thinking of it as like how can I be yellow how can I be this this state that I want to be how can I be that all the time it's like it's not euphoria, it's just like complete gratitude. And then those ideas start spilling out into the music. Like there's the song Yellow, which is talking about like how to be yellow, which is, you know, this sort of happy clappy, almost Alice Coltrane ashram kind of vibe with like the organ and <laughs> stuff. I wanted to sort of celebrate her and the influence she's had on me. But it's, yeah, the, in the lyrics, it's like I'm talking about being yellow. I've got this, this like chant in there, like bunch of chants throughout the whole album. Um, but the chant on the track yellow is like, be yellow, be mellow, be kind to your fellow human, we're all made of sunshine. That's a good chant. I'll have to practice that one later. <laughs> um, I want to I want to ask you about about the sort of the label jazz and you know people have talked a lot over the last few years about this sort of London UK jazz scene and I know some people maybe wouldn't describe their music as that or they they don't feel totally at peace with that with that label and obviously as you've described jazz is a major influence but you know do you, would you describe your music as that and what's your relation to that to that sort of label today um i i mean i call my music jazz because it feels like the easiest term to call it um you know i studied for for years and years at conservatoires like trying to be a jazz musician so that language is in there it's, it's in what i'm doing and it's part of me and the way i approach stuff it's just not all of me um so i'm quite happy at the minute to to call it jazz because it's just easier um but you know ideally we wouldn't call anything anything but we don't live in that world. We need to sort of like find a way to, to get to the right people, to find the right people who are going to enjoy it. And, you know, you, you know, you need to cut through some some kind of like noise to get to the heads who are going to appreciate what you're doing. So I, um, you know, I'm not so naive to think that we should get rid of genre labels altogether, um, although it would be great. Um, I think that the idea of London jazz is... Um, something that when I'm here in London, I don't really tend to think about it at all. Um, 
going back to what I was saying before about being quite an outsider person, I never sort of feel in anything or feel in a group or a gang and I'm sort of always sort of what feels like on the peripheries of stuff. Um, so it's when I'm here, it feels like quite a strange thing to to maybe be labelled or be referenced as being part of. But then the more I travel, the more I realise that, you know, what everyone is doing here in London, the ways that people are trying to push this this genre and use this language in a, in a new way is, um, you know, it's special to hear. Like, not a lot of other people are doing it around the world. So it makes sense on the road saying that. But then when I'm back in my home environment, it feels like a bit of a, not a whack kind of like... Um, stamped to put on stuff but just feels a little bit more oversimplified than, than what's going on so what's next what's on the horizon what are you working on um at the moment and and yeah what's what what's coming up for you there's been a lot of touring and i am so tired <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully a little bit of sleep would be quite nice um and yeah just cracking on and trying to finish the next record it's um the sound world that I'm looking to make is it's different from Yellow. It's um, not just different compositionally, but different in terms of the way of approach to production. I ho- hopefully, every record, it's just like we're stepping up and like the resources that I've got and like meaning I can reach more people. Amazing! I look forward to hearing it. <laughs> Me too. Let's um, yeah. So before when I said that Yellow was the one, yeah. This next one, this one's the one. (laughs) The title's going to be The Real Real Me. This is The Real Real Me, dash final, dash seriously, this one is the real one. (laughs) I look forward to to receiving that in my inbox. (laughs) I'm Zakia Sewell and you've been listening to Signal Bar, a podcast series by Shaw. This episode was recorded with the SM7B microphone.